You're listening to Coldo D. Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Our services are every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. For more information, like us on Facebook or visit our website at coldod.org. There's just one thing that, uh, that is in my mind, and it actually is out of the Pasha ready for next week. But, and with Deanna giving her testimony like that, uh, I call it the power of one. Just what one person can do. And, and listen to this. This is out of Psalm 106. Some of you have talked with me and know that I, I mean, I pulled this out the other day. They made a calf in Horeb. This is from Psalm 106. And worshipped a cast metal image. So they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said to them that he would destroy them if Moses, his chosen one, had not stood in the gap before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. The power of one person saved Israel. And then, verse 28, they also followed Baal, and they ate sacrifices offered to the dead. And they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. And then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and so the plague was brought to a halt, and it was credited to him as righteousness for all generations to come. I just want to say, let everybody in this room know, there's power. The power of one person can change a nation, can change a city, can change a family. You're that power. Let's use it for the glory of God. Good to be with you. You can turn to Hebrews 12. Turn to Hebrews 12 if you would, because I want to talk about divine discipline for a few minutes. Ow. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Ow. But then, ah. Uh, <laughs> because that's what it is. You know, God's discipline, it hurts. It hurts, but then it's good, ultimately. It's for our benefit. And I want to share a little personally about that. So, Father, we pray you open our eyes to continue to speak to us through your word. You already spoke through Papa Don, that beautiful word. And we pray you continue to speak to us at B'Shem Yeshua. Gal enayva avitani flo'ot metorah techa B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen, amen. So, God spanked me for playing in the pickleball tournament on the Shabbat, on the last Shabbat. <laughs> and I'm opening with a confession. And, uh, I felt he won't, I felt, Lord, I, you've been trying to get this through to me. He won't bless me playing in a tournament on Shabbat when I should be, should have been staying with here. Even though I, you know, was here for the service, I should stay with him and with his people. And I want to say that is not to judge others. That is clearly, it's not, it's personal. Romans 14, 4 and 5, I want to read it. 14, 4 and 5 says, uh, says, let's see, here we go. Uh, who are you to judge another servant for his own master? He stands or falls. He, for, he stands for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day over another. Another judges one day alike. He, let each one be convinced of his own mind. Uh, he observes it to the Lord. The other eats to the Lord. The other gives thanks to the Lord. The one who abstains, abstains to the Lord. He gives thanks to the Lord. None of us lives. So I, this is not, it's personal. Uh, what, you know, it, it's what has God told you, not what God has told someone else, all right? Um, we are not under 
the Torah, we are under the Torah of freedom and life in Yeshua. Amen? That's what we believe here. Uh, not under the Torah of bondage and legalism. All right? That's what I believe. That's in our core values, but folks. That's in our, uh, our statement of faith. We love the Torah, but we are not under the Mosaic Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. We are free to keep the Mosaic Covenant as much as God leads us through the Spirit of God who lives inside us. All right? We've been over that. That's so clear. That's where we stand. And so, so listen, so I, for me, I... He was telling me that, and, that's, and it was very convicting for me. Uh, he's been trying to, so I told others openly, by the way, in the, you know, afterwards I said, God spanked me. In the, <laughs> and these people don't know the Lord, you know. I said, yeah, God spanked me. So I wanted to be a testimony that his hand, you know, I said, because that's why I didn't do well, uh, as well as I should have, you know. So God disciplines us. He corrects us. He humbles us. Why? To improve us to improve us, to better us, to increase us. He wants us to excel. He wants us to succeed. Hebrews chapter 12, you know this passage if you've been a believer for a while. Maybe you don't, so don't take it like we know it. Like the pastor where I went to Bible college, used to say, don't, you don't know the Bible, you don't know that passage. Read it like you never heard it before uh, so the Holy Spirit can read, bring fresh insight to you. Hebrews 12 verse 5, My son, do not take lightly the discipline of Adonai, nor lose heart when you are corrected by him, because Adonai disciplines the one he what? He loves, that's right, and punishes every son he accepts. It's an indication that you belong to the Lord, not that you don't belong to him, not that he's rejecting you, but that he's accepted you, that he loves you, all right? It's for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son does the father not discipline for if you are without discipline, something all of us come to share, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Besides, we are used to having our human fathers as instructors, and we respected them. Not all have that benefit, but some have had and forced, and some haven't. Thank God for those that have. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Chaim, life. God is in, intent is life for us. Indeed, for a short time they disciplined us as seemed best to them, but he does it does so for our benefit so that we may share in his holiness. Now, key verse, verse 11 is one of the key verses here. Now, all discipline seems painful at the moment, not joyful, not joyful. As we know what our children are saying when they're getting disciplined, they're not, they're not saying, thank you, mom, dad, I love this. But later... Later, or that beautiful word, afterwards, Jeremiah used it too, afterwards, acharit would be, it yields the peaceable fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, tzedakah, tzedakah, to those who have been trained by it. So Deuteronomy 8.5, now you know in your heart that a man, as a man disciplines his son, so Adonai your God disciplines you. Job 5, verses 17 and 18, he says, Job says, Behold, happy is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of Shaddai, of the Almighty. For he inflicts pain, but he also binds up. He injures, yet his hands also heal. Psalm 94, 12, Blessed is the one you discipline, Adonai, and teach from your Torah. 
Psalm 118.18, Adonai has chastened me hard and has not given me over to death. Psalm 119.75, I know, Adonai, your judgments are just. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. And one more, I'll give you Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Repent again. Turn back to the Lord. Turn around. Turn, turn, stop going that way. Go the other direction. Now, in athletic training, as we know, I need, as an athlete, to be corrected. I need to be educated, right? No pain, no what? Very good. No pain, no gain. We should love being corrected because we want, why? To improve, to get better. We can't see our faults, our limitations. We can't see our wrong tendencies. We need a seasoned instructor, a wiser, more experienced veteran to point them out. It's a whole point of coaching, right? We're, and as a society, we're a wimpy society today. We balk at pain or correction. We get offended very easily, and we quit. That's the way we are. We blame others, and we scapegoat everybody else. But God makes sore and binds up. He wounds, and his hands make whole, Job 5.18. Now, same thing, how about child rearing, which is the metaphor that God is using the because he's a parent, father to us. Child-rearing, correction is necessary, irregardless. We were just with our grandchildren in Fort Lauderdale for a couple days. Re irregardless of crying, and of course, it's not the grandparents that do the discipline. The grandparents are the heroes, right? It's always the, it's the parents that hit the bad job. But irregardless of crying and whining and protesting, and I'm going to give you these verses in Proverbs. These Proverbs, I haven't look, hadn't looked at these in a long time, but because of this topic, I, looked, I said, you know, let's, let's look, let me look them up again. And again, take them in context. They're not to be, well, anyway, I'll just mention them. Discipline, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope. Or 22, 15. All these are, are Mishle, are Proverbs. 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but a rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, what that rod would mean for us today can mean, you know, the, the Bible speaks of the rod of his mouth, right? He'll slay the wicked. So it can be stern a word, you know? It doesn't have to mean an object, obviously, and, you, and obviously you have to be careful. I, no. But, um, but it would, you know, I, anyway... But a rod this one will drive it far. 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. 29, 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. He will bring delight to your soul. Or 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent with discipline. So those are the verses. Loving, firm, tough correction. Obviously, needless to say, and we all as parents, I know, 
Francis and I maybe three times blew it, maybe two or three times. No, just kidding. <laughs> two, not obviously, maybe two or three hundred times. Not screaming, reacting in anger, but the goal is not doing that, no, but, but not screaming, not reacting, but firm reinforcement of rules and parameters, boundaries. The child does not know what he or she needs. He doesn't know. Don't ask your child. Don't say, well, what do you think? What do you have to they don't know any more than the athlete does. I can't see my blind spots when I think I'm playing perfect. I think I'm, you know, doing just what I'm supposed to do in my sport or whatever. You don't, you need, and, and the child, oh, but always, of course, praise and reinforce good behavior. Always praise, always, you know, we want to always be, and that's what we all need, that encouragement and positive reinforcement and, and absolutely. But discipline, God disciplines us because he loves us, and it's so important. Listen, Psalm 89, I love these verses, hadn't thought of them in a while. Uh, if his sons forsake my Torah, God says, and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my decrees and do not keep my commandments, then what will I do? I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with flogging. But I will not withdraw my loving kindness from him nor will I betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant nor alter what my lips have uttered. God won't take away his faithfulness. He won't revoke his promises for Israel. He doesn't give up on Israel despite he will discipline us. And as, as his children, as believers, the same thing. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't cast us off. He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't ever discard us. You know what I believe about eternal security. You couldn't change me, my mind on that for the world. He doesn't lose. Uh, he doesn't ever, but he, but he does discipline us. But, he's, but, we, but, he, he, but he, he never abandons us. So God disciplined David for counting, numbering Israel and Judah in, a, in an unauthorized census in 2 Samuel 24, verses and First Chronicles 21 gives the whole account, the whole story. I, I found some, when I searched, I taught on it a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, and David was, you know, incited to number by Satan. It's interesting because one account says God told him to number, and then the other account in Chronicles says Satan told him to do it. So God used Satan, but somehow he numbered, he, he numbered Israel. And he took the census and and the Lord disciplined him for it. You remember what happened? And this could be, you know, like David saying, what's, you know, the principle, what's my security in? You know, counting my money, measuring my materials. What's my security? Is it in my, my possessions, my health, my fitness, my fortune, my fame? And can all be gone in a moment. Can all melt away like wax in a fire or dissipate like vapor in the sun. And it's okay to number, to count, but not so I'll be secure in the sum. And David was counting. He counted the military, but he didn't count the, the priests there. Interesting. He, you know, placed, it's like placing our confidence in our clever programs or resources in ministry. And God was, is, hates this, you know. He's pleased rather by our depending and trusting in his direction, by the Spirit as we pray. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, Jeremiah 17, 5. The word 
fatah, the security and confidence is in, the, is in man. Uh, and his heart turns from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the desert. He can't see the goodness when it comes, but he dwells in the parched places of the wilderness. My security's in the Lord, in knowing him rather, not trusting in statistics and status. And blessed is the one who trusts, batach, in Adonai, whose confidence is, whose batach, trust is in Adonai. For he'll be like a tree planted by the waters, spreading out its roots by a stream, and it has no fear, no fear, won't see the heat when it comes, but its leaves will be green, won't, see, won't worry in the year of drought. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we remember the Lord, our God's name, uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. So in Je Je David's case, Joab says, why does my, does my Lord the king desire such a thing? Why are you doing it? And the census took over nine and a half months, over 1.3 million soldiers, 800,000. But David's heart smote him. It troubled him. Word disabled, nacha, it disabled him. Like, like he beat himself up over it, maybe we would say. Uh, which is because he had a heart after God, after he'd done it. And so David prayed to the Lord. He said, I've sinned greatly. I've sinned greatly. And he said, he spoke to God and he said, what do I, you know. And the Lord said, gave him a choice through the prophet Gad, G-A-D. He gave him three options. Seven years Chronicles says three years, I don't know, but it was seven, so we'll say seven years of famine, three, three months fleeing from your adversary, or three months of, three days of pestilence in the land. David said to God, you choose, and God sent the pestilence. 70,000 people died. And he said, David came to a place, said, I'm in great distress. And he says, Lord, I need your mercy. Let, I want to fall into your hand. Mercy. And the pestilence came, and, and finally God said, enough, enough, and he withdrew his hand. And like God can do at any time to our economy, to our inflation, by the way, or to, you know, because of prayer, and, or he cannot, or to the pandemic. And the plague was shortened less than three days, probably, David said, why should the people have to suffer? And this is where he offers a burnt offering to the Lord that cost him something. In verse 24, he said, I won't offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. It's quite a, quite a story. We won't go into the, all of it, but he, this is where he set up an altar on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite, in order to end the plague. And this would be the future t second temple site, Second Chronicles 3.1, where the Dome of the Rock sits today. So it costs David something, and, and it costs us something to serve the Lord, to follow him. Salvation is free, but following the Lord is not. So God always disciplines his sons and his daughters. He always disciplines us. Adam, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, God said to Moses, who made man's mouth? 
or no promised land for you, remember? Or with David, with Solomon, with Jonah. With Jonah, God disciplined him, of course, when he ran from God. How do you like fish, Jonah? Big ones? <laughs> or with Peter, Yeshua says to him, Peter, do you love me? If I want you to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't look at him. Not, I'm not sure what he's doing. Which will you? How about you? Or Paul, or Chava, Eve, or Sarah, or Rachel, or Esther. How about Mordecai? God using Mordecai to discipline Esther. Don't you think, don't think you're so special, sweetheart? Basically, and we'll be celebrating Purim really soon, right? Yay. Or uh, Miriam, mother of Yeshua. How about, how do you think she felt when Yeshua said to her, I, I need to be, I must be about my father's business in front of others. God's discipline might be for my arrogant sin. It might be for my immature sin, and he'll do it differently. It might be for going in the wrong direction or not going in the right direction. It might be in the right way. It might be for stubbornness. It might be for ignorance or laziness. But let's realize he disciplines us because he loves us. And again, in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11, he says it's as sons because we belong to him. We're not strangers or servants or orphans, but members of his family. It's correction. It's signs of, in verse 6, of here, verse 12, because of, of chapter 12, because of our father's love and his possession and that we might, in nine, verse 9, live. And verse 10, the Hebrew, the Greek word, is sum fero, for our benefit, sum fero. Let's say sum fero. I didn't write it up there but somewhere, but sum fero. It means to carry together, to bring together. It's for our advancement to partake of his holiness. Afterward, we'll benefit. We'll, uh, the, 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 it'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness if we've been trained or exercised by it. The word in the Greek is actually where we get the English word gymnastics from that word, that we're trained by this, uh, this discipline that God brings. And so I'll finish with these thoughts. The James 3, verse 17 and 18 says, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial, not hypocritical. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in shalom by those who make shalom. God's discipline is his wisdom. His correction is his wisdom. It's a, it produces the fruit of righteousness and shalom. And listen to this verse and take this verse with you. Isaiah 32, 17. I love this verse. The result of righteousness shall be shalom. Let's say it. The result of righteousness shall be shalom, okay? And the effect of righteousness, and the effect of, shall be quietness and confidence forever. Good, one more time. The result of righteousness shall be shalom, and the effect of righteousness shall be quietness and confidence forever. Okay, you get it. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Very good, all right? And isn't this what we desire in our lives? And this is not what God desires for our lives. And it only comes through his discipline. Ow! 
Ah, there we go. Father, thank you for this topic, Lord, for your plan, for your discipline, your correction in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it's beyond what we see, Lord, because you see much better than we see what's best for us in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.